Hi, I'm Mark Haywood and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. We fantasise about reopening um, and our fantasy, sadly, um, it keeps getting pushed back. Whether it's the humour of a comedy film multiplied by the laughter of the cinema goers around you, or the tears of joy that run down your cheeks when you're at a gig watching your favourite band alongside thousands of others. Many experiences are simply better together. That's why the likes of London Southbank Centre are so well loved, attracting on average 5 million visitors every year. But of course, like everything else, the pandemic has shut its doors. Its offering has been moved online for the time being. And the question for the Centre's leadership has been, How do we form a connection with someone when they're sitting behind the screen of a laptop? I mean, art is intimacy, but there's nothing intimate about this. Elaine Burdell is Chief Executive Officer of the Southbank Centre, and she's my guest today. Chapter 1. A Double Edge The usual buzz and excitement of the Southbank Centre has been muted, Incredible music halls near empty, tumbleweed rolling across their open spaces. It's strange to consider how a place and the emotions we associate with it can change so drastically in so short a space of time. Simply taking away the crowds of people has turned a place of joy and entertainment into a reminder of the exhausting state of the world right now. Elaine says, Because the Southbank Centre usually delivers such strong community impact, it's utterly heartbreaking to see it empty. It is a very, very strange feeling. You almost feel that you're accompanied by ghosts. You know, it's got such historic significance, particularly the Royal Festival Hall, such significance for the position that we're in right now with a global catastrophe. Um, You know, the Royal Festival Hall was built as the result of a global catastrophe, the Second World War. And it was an extraordinary thing for a government to decide to do immediately post-war when there was so much demand for housing and job regeneration and actually what they decided was that they would spend quite a lot of money on a fair, on a fair that would celebrate art and culture and ideas and science and innovation and that was the Festival of Britain and that's what the Royal Festival Hall, it's the only lasting monument to the Festival of Britain. So you walk around its spaces and you know that that sort of sense of the importance of art and culture is built into its bricks and mortar in some way and Every time I've been in since lockdown, you just have this sort of echoing sense of all the many wonderful, brilliant events and talks and dances and activity that have gone on, that's gone on in that hall since it very first opened. And it is a, it is a very, very strange feeling because, as you say, it is, it's got a double edge because actually the one thing that I think we feel most deprived of in lockdown is that sense of togetherness, that sense that we can collectively come together to enjoy shared experiences. Actually, what lockdown makes us do is that we have to stay indoors with just close members of family. So we're not mixing in large groups. And of course, that's what a place like Southbank Centre lives to do. It lives for that sense of congregation. Our enjoyment of a live event is twice as great almost because we are enjoying it with others um, and we have that shared sense of, of community as we're watching and experiencing something and that's because in the end we're social animals and that's how we thrive and so to have had all of that taken away it's, it is of course it's so hard for all of us. We've taken in our millions to 
online tours and virtual gallery um, sessions. You've put together an incredible program, which I know you had quite a lot of already, but, but how have you, how hard have you had to be working to move a lot of these events online? And are we attending in anywhere near the numbers that we would be if we were allowed to be there in person? It's been quite a challenge. And, and actually, I suppose it's been an evolving challenge because to begin with, we all, we all, I mean, the cultural sector thought, well, look, we're desperate to keep doing what we do best, particularly those of us who work with a lot of freelancers. It's, you know, that their safety nets uh, are very tricky. And so we wanted to be able to provide them with some sort of means of work and survival. So most of the players in our orchestras are, are freelancers. So we were trying to bring people back together to do work that others could enjoy, but we had no real idea what the take up would be, how many views it would get. And I think I, I remember there was a point last summer when we thought there was a proliferation of so much content that actually it was it was almost detrimental. I mean, it was some of it was of dubious quality, and it was I thought you know I I remember us all thinking that if you were a consumer of this stuff, it was quite hard to find see the wood for the trees or to find the the, the best nuggets, and so it settled into a more sensible proportion, I think. And yes, I mean, the maximum amount of audience, for example, we can have in the Royal Festival Hall, which is our largest space, is about 2,600, 700. We are getting far more people than that watching our streams. But of course, it's a very different experience. It's a very passive experience, you know, no matter how beautifully we film it or, or we, we try and introduce it, it is still... It is not the same as sitting in a hall listening to the music, but it is better than nothing. And I think that's what everybody has arrived at. I think what digital has taught us is that although we, and a place like South Bank Centre, exist to do the live experience, I think what we will learn from the take-up of digital is that in the pandemic is that we will need to be doing digital work that elaborates on the live experience because I think people will have got very used to that sense that an awful lot of art and culture is now coming to them through digital channels and digital means and and we at South Bank Centre need to exploit that and I think every arts and cultural organisation well most of them were caught a bit by the pandemic and realising that actually we were all Luddites in this area to some degree it was we weren't up to speed and we probably weren't as nimble or as swift-footed as we could be but the difficulty is, for speaking of with a chief executive's hat on, is it's also the finances of it are tricky because we wanted initially to supply as much of this as we could for free. Therefore, you know, the costs of doing it, uh, of opening up the whole building to do it and getting the orchestras in were seemed a bit daunting to begin with. But we have, and I was, I think a number of us were very keen that nobody thought that it was a panacea that, you know, having a digital output meant that we were making money because there's very little money in it um, in terms of revenue. But I think we worked incredibly closely with our orchestras. We have four resident orchestras and four associate orchestras, all of whom were very keen to work with us in, in providing something online. And we shared the burden of that with them, the costs of that. And we worked very closely in devising a programme that was complimentary enough and and actually as you say and then radio three bbc radio three came in and 
came and did a residency for for 10 days so they broadcast a lot of it and so all of that really helped to make up make the program seem both energized and financially viable to be honest Before we carry on to chapter two, I'd like to tell you about a fantastic podcast I've been listening to, hosted by Paul Carenza. The British Broadcasting Century tells the story of how the BBC started in Britain. It's all about people, coincidences, ideas and innovations. One episode I particularly enjoyed was a fascinating reconstruction of the BBC's very first broadcast. Paul starts by telling us it's the only reenactment of this event ever made and it offers such a beautiful glimpse into the past. There are several moments that remind you of just how historic the occasion was, especially when presenter Arthur Burroughs delivers the bulletin in both normal and slow speeds, asking listeners to phone in to let him know which one they prefer. That episode came out in November, but there's plenty more great stuff from Paul and the British Broadcasting Century. You can find the podcast on all good podcast apps or in this episode's show notes. Chapter 2. Everyday Heroes The pandemic may be a storm that's difficult to weather for a place like the South Bank Centre, but it's clear that hard work and perseverance can illuminate many a silver lining. And it's in the silver linings that the centre has found inspiration. Towards the end of last year, they showcased an exhibition capturing the lives of everyday heroes, people whose work perhaps went underappreciated until the pandemic hit. We had the idea to celebrate everyday heroes, and they are everyday heroes as we all know now. But we were learning in the middle of last year, are bus drivers, they are health workers, they are teachers, they are... They work in many different areas. And so we commissioned a number of contemporary artists to effectively do portraits and they could do it in whichever whichever form they wanted. It could be photographic, it could be painted. And we mounted those portraits on the outsides of our building. So it was an exhibition that was pandemic proof. You didn't need a ticket. You didn't need to come through the door. You didn't even need to wear a mask at that stage. But you could walk around our site in the in the fresh air and look at these extraordinary portraits, which we either projected or actually physically put onto the outsides of our building, or we put them in the windows of the building. And one of the best days of my of my lockdown part one um, was when we brought some of the um, some of the people who had been painted or profiled to come on site and see themselves blown up on the wall of the Royal Festival Hall. And that was their reaction. And, and meeting each other was, was very, very pleasing. But that is definitely something that we've learned, I think, at South Bank Centre from the pandemic, that we could use. We've always exploited our outdoor site, but we've realised that we can use it in many different ways. And actually thinking about outdoor exhibitions, things that we can put on the buildings or projections or the ways in which we can use the site so that it is a cultural playground where you can encounter all sorts of different artistic endeavours and events. That's really something we're going to be thinking about post-pandemic as well. We had a glorious, this this Christmas, we had a glorious light display, which is still up there. So if, if, people want to encompass the South Bank as part of their daily walk or cycle. Um, the lights are still up there. And that's proved to be a very kind of vivid way of, you know, we we can't open the doors and have the traditional circus that we might have had in the Royal Festival Hall for Christmas. But we were beaming out across the river and over to North London. 
so that everybody could see that we were animating as much as we're able, um, given the restrictions. What plans are in place for the reopening of the South Bank Centre? I imagine it's not economically viable to reduce capacity. So is it a case of you needing it to be fully open or not at all? We fantasise about reopening um, and our fantasy, sadly, um, it keeps getting pushed back because of the nature of what's been happening over the last few weeks and the new strains and, and the new lockdown. I predicted in the spring of last year that I thought it would be April 21 before we opened again. Um, I've been clinging on to April for quite some time, but I, I'm afraid I think it won't be April. It won't be April for a full reopening without social distancing. We can reopen with some social distancing. We probably, from financial reasons, it would be very difficult for us to open every building with only social distancing. But what we would hope to do is have a sort of slight mixed economy where maybe the Queen Elizabeth Hall is closed one evening, but we open up the Royal Festival Hall with social distancing and we have activity outside. So there are lots of reasons for people to come to South Bank Centre. I mean, above all else, just to hop back to our origins and the Festival of Britain. I mean, we are convinced that we can provide recovery and recuperation for for us all who've been suffering from from the effects of COVID. And so the one thing I think you will find that the summer, probably the autumn, um, without social distancing, it seems to be our best guess at the moment, but there will be a real sense of entertainment and enlightenment and um, excitement on the banks of the the River Thames at South Bank Centre. I think people have missed art and culture so viscerally and so much that um, I think I'm very confident that by the time we're vaccinated and people are beginning to re-emerge, our numbers will be, um, people will really crave coming back and we will be standing arms outstretched, waiting to welcome them back because we are so desperate to go back to doing what we do best, which is to, you know, offer this really eclectic programme of events um, and to provide a wide open public space where people can gather and use it in whatever ways it needs to be used. I mean, the thing about South Bank Centre is it sort of belongs to its communities, you know, that they have shaped it over the years. So our cloakroom dancers who, you know, down in the what we call the lower ground floor, um, work out their moves in front of our big cloakroom mirrors. I mean, you know, they have claimed that space in, in some sort of rather wonderful historic way um, over the years. And, you know, we were the sort of source of a lot of the regeneration and rejuvenation of young British jazz with groups like Tomorrow's Warriors um, at South Bank Centre. And this sort of sense that these different communities have all been coexisting within the public space. And that is what a modern art centre can do so well. And, you know, it's the one thing that we really want to get back to doing. Chapter three, a matter of money. Funding is one of the art's perennial battles. Without art, in all its forms, many of us would find ourselves lost. And yet it appears the way it's funded is at odds with the love we have for it. But with the pandemic placing mental health and well-being firmly at the forefront of our minds, could that be changing? Could government finally be waking up to the true benefits of the arts? There's no question that COVID has had a terrible impact on our uh, on our finances. And, you know, it continues to have a 
a terrible impact. When we closed our doors on March the 17th, you know, we had no idea it would be for so long. And I think we would have all been devastated if somebody had told us then that we would still be closed um, with no prospect of reopening in, in January 21. So it has been um, very difficult. And for some organisations, it's been worse than for others, depending on their business models. And I think one of the difficulties we have to accept is that cultural organisations have very different kinds of business models. So ours is quite entrepreneurial and commercial. 37% of our funding is public, the rest we find for ourselves. Um, museums and art galleries have a different kind of model. So I must say, I can see that for the government, it was very difficult to think about how to help the cultural sector as a whole, because there was a very commercial aspect to the sector in the form of West End theatres. And then the opposite end, there was the British Museum with all its very precious artifacts and, and buildings. So I think that was that was a challenge. But let's acknowledge that we are the only sector that has had a really significant bailout from government. £1.57 billion. It was an enormous amount of money. Um, and I must only be grateful that South Bank Centre has been one of the recipients of, of that money. We we went for the repayable fin finance element of that. So we've gone for a loan. And I'm very, very clear to all staff and all partners and our orchestras that it is a loan. It's not a grant. We have to pay it back. But it's a significant amount of money and it has given us the confidence to start thinking about our future, even though we don't know yet when we'll be able to reopen. We know that we have the benefit of that to help us think about reopening. But before we applied to the Cultural Recovery Fund, we had to take some actions of our own and we had to look at our fixed cost base because we had to think about the only income that we could really rely on, which was our Arts Council grant. And very, very sadly, we had to make a number of our staff redundant. And so we have been through some very brutal times and it's very painful. And we have had a very sympathetic response from our audience. Um, and in some cases, you know, incredibly generous. I I got, um, you know, just literally cash in an envelope from some of our most loyal audience who were just trying to help us in any way we can which of course we're incredibly grateful for and there has been a great sense of camaraderie amongst the cultural organizations so we all talk to each other very regularly there is quite a lot of mutual support we're all sharing ways in which we can work together to help kind of meet some of those costs or indeed to have conversations with the government because it's very confusing for government to have so many different kinds of elements of the arts and culture sector coming in at them and having different levels of conversation. So we've tried to be a bit more coordinated together with the Arts Council around that. And we are, you know, I, I'm completely aware we are, even though things looked have looked very bad for us, they, they of course look bad for everybody right around the country and particularly for organisations outside London. And... It is, it is one of the ironies of the whole situation that an organisation like us that was relatively entrepreneurial and had worked out ways of being much more commercial, for example, you know, our, our, our restaurant and cafe units that we created in order to give ourselves another income stream rendered us in some ways the most vulnerable because they were as badly hit as we were when we closed our doors, they closed their doors. And so... Ironically, that didn't really help us in the end, um, those of us who were a little bit more commercial. 
but the government has provided the cultural recovery fund there will be a second round for it and i think we've all we all recognize that that ha has been um that and the furlough scheme has been an absolute godsend so is your online program drawing audiences from around the world yes we are that's been very pleasing with our online program that there has been so much international traffic and of course international audiences are the ones that we think will come back the slowest so they'll they'll take the longest time to come back i think until international travel and tourism really is restored we're going to find we're going to feel that impact quite keenly so yes that has been, that has been good but but still the vast majority of our of our online audience is domestic and it is in the uk but it has a slightly different profile as well i think we're all finding with our online offer that there are, we're able to appeal to a slightly younger demographic and i think you know, we like to say uh, we ha we're having a number of conversations with our orchestral partners saying actually classical music may have changed forever in some ways. I think we will need to look at how we present classical music in the future because we know we could reach different kinds of audiences if we presented it in a different way. So a, a kind of classic example, which we've talked about quite openly at South Bank Centre is the traditional 7.30 concert that lasts three hours and has an interval in the middle. Is that really the best way to present great classical music? Maybe not, maybe, and this has already happened both at South Bank Centre and elsewhere, but it's a, an hour long six o'clock performance followed by another hour long performance at eight o'clock. Um, an easier way for people to consume classical music, especially if they don't belong to London or they're commuting in and out of London. or, And I think we've got to really, this could be one of the great opportunities out of the pandemic, that it has accelerated that thinking. That thinking was already going on, but I think thinking again about how people consume their art and culture and what will work best in the future is going to be one of the pleasures of thinking about a life in the cultural sector post-pandemic. In the same way that we're all thinking about how we're going to work in the future and whether or not the, the office is going to survive or whether we've all discovered that at least a kind of mixed economy of working at home as well as working in the office is going to suit most of our staff. It's a very similar thing. These are opportunities that are going to come out of what has been a terrible ordeal. Conclusion. A massive thank you then to Elaine Bedell for joining me on the podcast and to recap, what have we learnt? The emotional attachments we hold for places aren't fixed. Time, age and circumstance can alter our perception. Allow the places and environments in your story to shift and evolve as your characters do. Our enjoyment of a live event is perhaps twice as great because we're enjoying it with others. Even if this time of remote living, develop ways to establish communities of people who can enjoy your writing together. The true crime podcast, Death in Ice Valley, for instance, has done this beautifully by building a strong Facebook community. Use the open media of online to your advantage. Less is more. It's so much easier these days to get your content seen or heard, but that's not to say you should be churning out as much stuff as possible. Too much content can cause more harm than good, especially if the quality is dubious. And finally, it's taken a long time, but the way the South Bank Centre presents classical music is changing. When we consider something to be an institution, when we've always done it a certain way, it can be hard for us to change. But now, more than ever, change is exactly what we need. 
And we should be looking at every option available to us to more effectively tap into the hearts of our audiences. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. And if you'd like to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine. New episodes are released weekly. Please like us and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Goodbye for now. Stay safe and keep writing. Thank you.